client voicemail. So this is Ira Glass uh, of This American Life, and I'm supposed to do an interview with Mike Probiglia for some new podcast that he's making. I don't know what he thinks he's doing starting a podcast. Like, this is what it's like to work with, like, a complete amateur. So I'm trying to call him on his phone. Mike? Mike? Yes, I'm on my cell phone. Yeah, I was just talking about you. To who? to people listening at home on the recording that I'm making for your podcast right now. Oh, I see. <laughs> um, so you're thinking we should just talk on the phone and record. I'm, I'm on GarageBand and you're probably on Pro Tools on your end? Yeah, like basically you record on your end, I'll record on my end. So, so this is the first episode of... Um, of the Working It Out podcast and the reason... Okay, hold on. I'm going to take you off speakerphone then. Hold on. You, you, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so now I'm hearing you on headphones. So now, instead of people hearing you through my phone, why don't, this is the part where you would play from the microphone there. <laughs> okay, great. There's just a little, pro so t- a little pro tip. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm being such a dick to you right now, and I'm so sorry. No, but- no. You always... It's so funny because... The reason why you're the first episode of this is that you are uh, the Yoda in, in, in my creative existence in the sense that I, I, I bring to you a lot of projects I'm working on and you, you, you usually have a, a lot of feedback. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so I'm pitching you this podcast, which is the most meta uh, way to start a podcast, but I actually think it's in keeping with the theme of the podcast, which is called Working It Out. So please so, don't tell me that it's about investigating the death of Princess Diana. <laughs> no, um, uh, you know, what it is, um, it, it, it's, it's literally birthed out of uh, the, sh- the shutdown, and, which is to say that um, my tour is on hold, uh, the, you know, for now the book is, was, was pushed a month, like everything, obviously everyone's experiencing this sort of existential pause and literal pause. So, so the, so the pitch is since the shutdown, I did this Instagram live stream called tip your weight staff and it was positive and, and, and a good thing, but it went against every instinct as a comedian I have, which is I was revealing all of my new material before it's meant to be consumed. Wait, wait. In and other words, that, that was the idea of the podcast was like, let me talk about the material I'm working on with somebody else. Yeah. And I did 30 episodes of it and we're raising money for comedy club waitstaffs across the country. And the premise was, what can we do that's literally entertaining remotely um, and it's jokes. And it's just, here's our new jokes. Can and, I just say something we, to the audience right now? This sure. is Mike and I pretending that I don't know this. Like, like we talk all the time. No, no. And so I, I totally know this information. I just want to just be upfront about that. And we're being very professional and presenting the information here in a conversational forum. So you can know it. Okay, yes. Mike Verbigway. And by the way, you don't, have to the stop, you don't have to stop and start with every single thing that you know or do not know. <laughs> Fine. That's... I don't know if you know anything about these radio shows or podcasts, but uh, you don't. You don't. You don't have to repeat. Uh, you don't have to stop and start. Thank uh, you. Every, good, every good to know. Good to know. Good to know. I just. I so, just I'm. You know. Okay. Transparency. That's all. Okay. Yes. Ever since you won that Pulitzer, 
Ooh. <laughs> ever feel- since... Ever, I should have said it with more anger. Ever since you won that Pulitzer, and I'm, you, you can't see me, but I'm staring at the wall. You're so different. You're so different. I barely recognize you. Your head's so, your head's so big. I was wondering about that Pulitzer, actually. When, now that you have a Pulitzer, you can give me one, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like a social disease or something. Yes, I can. It, <laughs> um, so, so I had this live stream, as you know, Tip Your Weight Staff. But what it, what it made me realize is that you can reveal to people what your material is, and it's not as precious as you think. So, so, so basically people would hear you like make the joke in different ways and develop it and add tags onto it and all that from week to week. Yeah, but but it's all piecemeal. So like today on the show, I'm gonna I'm gonna run a piece with you that's like four minutes of comedy. Okay, and we can talk about that. Okay, um, and next week, you know, with John Mulaney or, or Hannah Gadsby, I'll run another five minute piece, and we'll sort of kick it around, and they'll run their five minutes, and we'll kick that around. So I guess what I would say is like, do you want to poke holes? And this is our this is I would say this is our process for our movies and the shows. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, pitch me. Yeah, let's, let's just do it. So, let's, let's stop talking so, about so, it. Let's just jump in. So, so that's... Great, I have a notepad. That's the premise of the show. Great. It's, it's called Working It Out. The component parts are, um, there's a theme song, which Jack Antonoff from Bleachers and Fun is wow. making right now. And, 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 and he and I did a song for Tip Your Weight Staff. We did a song for the new one on Broadway, as you know, that you're a producer of. Yes, and, your Broadway show. And so we, this is totally embarrassing. I'm going to sing you a, the lyrics of a song with no melody. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm in. I want to hear and it. I want that you sounds to imagine, great. I want you to imagine that Jack is singing it. Okay. Um, and that it, it's, it has a nice melody to it in the style of almost like a 70s Bruce Springsteen, like a, like a Nebraska kind of feel. Sure. So this is the beginning of the show. It goes... We're working it out, cause it's not done. We're working it out, cause there's no one. But we don't have to stop making jokes, though these versions might choke. They will someday breathe cleaner air. We're gonna make art and we'll show you the guts and the soup and the nuts. These are jokes without punchlines. These are tales without storylines. These are thoughts without reasons or rhymes. Because we're working it out. I have a couple of reactions. First of all, like, that's a pretty good rendition. Second, like, that was, I'm shocked at how good that was <laughs> when you said <sang> it. <laughs> I'm actually shocked as your friend. But then also, like, um, it's such a Jack Antonoff song. He's doing that trick that he does where, like, one line sort of bleeds into the next line. You know what I mean? And you're just like, wait, what's that? And it's like, oh, my God, it really is a Jack Antonoff song. So so that's the theme song. That's a good theme that's song. How, that, that makes that's how the show opens. That makes it feel like it's a thing. Okay. Okay, good. So in the podcast, I'm anticipating, based on the Instagram Live Tip Your Weight Staffs, some people just don't bring material. You mean, wait, wait, you, wait, wait. You mean the comedians who come onto the podcast are not going to bring material? Well, they they they're asked to. But what I'm saying is, with tip your weight staff, I noticed they don't always do it. Uh. And so what I thought was, I'm going to create a segment of the show called the slow round, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a reference to the speed round, which is in like you know a lot of interviews. Speed round. What do you think? What do you think? Oh. Earthquakes. Oh, I like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So I have the slow round, 
and it's a series of prompts. So, like, so I'll, I'll give you some of the prompts. Do you remember a smell from your childhood? Um, I, I do remember a smell from my childhood, yeah. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's the smell of uh, brisket cooking. And when I was a kid growing up in the Baltimore suburbs, um, the way that, that all Jews where I grew up would make brisket was the same, which is that the key ingredient was Lipton onion soup mix. And this has been on my mind <laughs> because I was at the bodega keeping a safe social distance and I saw Lipton onion soup mix and I was like, oh my God, I've got to buy that and make brisket for uh, Chris, my girlfriend, which I yes. did the other day. And I have to say the house filled with a smell that I haven't smelled in decades. Oh, my, so mine is the YMCA pool chlorine, which is the, the, the mm-hmm. title actually, the, the show I'm developing is the live show is called the YMCA pool. And I, and I know, and you talk about that smell at some length in some of the material <laughs> development because yes. I've seen you work it on stage when I've visited you at your job. Uh, a couple of that's times. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, so that's my first prompt. Smell from childhood. Good. Second prompt. What is a memory you have from childhood that's on a loop in your brain, but it doesn't fit into a story? Like, I have one where in kindergarten, <laughs> I swear to God, this is on a loop in my brain. In kindergarten, uh, first day of kindergarten, the, the older kids, which was the second graders, who seemed like they were six feet tall, showed us these two kids showed us where the bathroom was. I, I went physically to the bathrooms and I, I didn't have to go. And so I was the only kid who walked out of the bathroom. And I, to this day, I remember one of these second graders going, get in there. <laughs> and then I walked back in the bathroom. I swear to God, it's, it's on a loop in my brain. Like it comes up all the time in your head? Yeah. Wow. What do you think that means? If you were going to break it down, you'd say it's some sense of like that I'm doing something wrong or I'm afraid of I'm, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah, 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 I guess so. Wow. Do and you I, have anything on, on, on a loop in your brain that's not even a story, but it's just like a memory loop? Um, there were things that, that my mom would do. Like basically my sisters and I have talked about this. Where like talking to my mom, my mom would like come home from her job and then she would get on the phone with her friends and then trying to distract her from the phone. And often she would be talking about us, but we mm. couldn't get her to address us. And oh, then gosh. the phone in the kitchen of our house when I was growing up, it was on this like, there was some like thing on the wall, which had like a little door on it. And you're supposed to put mail in there um, in, in inside this little compartment. And if you tugged on the phone cord in the right way, the the door would open up and all the mail would fall under the floor, and, <laughs> and um and it was like a kind of like running gag of our oh childhood. We'd be trying to get our mom's attention, and she would turn away from us, and that would tug on the cord, and then the door would open, oh. and the mail would fall on the floor. Oh my gosh! And, and 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 by and by the way, none of that happened. You don't think that happened? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It, like I just feel like it's too on the nose. Like it's so literary. I guess, like, like honestly, when my sisters and I have talked about my mom, like, like who's been dead for years now, like for the three of us, like that image of trying to get her attention, often while she was talking about us, you know, like uh, either a problem we were having or an achievement we had had, like Randy played a recital, and then like Randy, my older sister, wouldn't be able to get her to talk to her, like, like it was just like that, like it's such a, it's such a vivid 
uh, oh my gosh. and transparent, whose meaning is transparent. But like, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I got to uh, get you through the slow round. Sorry. Do you have a memory that still makes you cringe? So many. So mine is my mine is everything that happened uh, in the like weeks before the the big breakup in my life that happened during Sleepwalk with me. So like, I remember. It, her, her real name's Maggie. In the show, I say Abby. But but I remember I would say things in that period of time that would be so dismissive and and irrationally dismissive. And I won't even repeat them because they're mean. Like, I would just be like, do you have to do that thing? You know what I mean? Like, do you have to do that? You know, and and, and I and whenever I flash back to it, I cringe. I cringe so hard and I feel terrible about it. Right. Because the things she was doing were totally fine and you would just were totally regular roommate stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I have things that I cringe about, but I don't think I, I want to talk about any of them. I don't. Like, well, I, they're, that's going to be intensely. That's the clickbait right there, by the way. Yeah. I have things that I cringe about from my past. But I'm not going to talk about this here. Ira Glass said to Mike Birbiglia on the Working It Out podcast. So, what's the next one on? What's the next question on the list? <laughs> what is a group in your life that can I, wouldn't let you? Well, go ahead, go ahead. Can I just say these questions are all too profound? Like they all require, like each one of them, I feel like would require real thought. To I don't, but I don't, but I think that the. I think that the spontaneity of what they make you think of is yeah. what the show is about. Got it. Okay. Don't you think? I mean, the show is whatever you say it is. As you right. But out. I know, I know. But imagine if you were the producer of the show, like, like, wouldn't you think that prompts like this? Maybe we only get to one or two, by the way. Oh, like, maybe, they're that maybe, slow. Maybe, okay, I see. That's why I'm saying it's the yeah. slow round. That's why it's called the slow round. So here's the next one. What's a group that wouldn't let you in? When you're any time in your life that you desperately wanted to be in, but make a pitch for yourself now to be let in. Well, two groups come to mind. Um, I was really close friends with this kid, Artie Aronoff, and uh, up until fifth grade. And then in fifth grade, I was so uncool that um, he simply couldn't be friends with me anymore. <laughs> oh my and, um, and I don't begrudge him that. Um, yeah. and, uh, but it was, it was uh, painful, but I don't think I have a pitch. Like, I don't think, I don't think I had any merits to sell. The other group that rejected me, um, uh, and it really hurt me was when I started This American Life. When I started This American Life, I'd been working for, for NPR, uh, since I was 19. And so wow. at that point I was 37 years old. I'd worked there for 18 years. I, like, if you think about like starting to work at a place when you were 19, Oh my, and, it's your um, whole life. It was my entire adult life for sure. And I grew up sure. there and I knew everybody. And NPR is a little smaller than two. Like, like I started when it was like a tiny operation. And so I started this new show and I found the funding myself and did it with WBEZ in Chicago, which is where I was living. And, um, and you know, I got the funding. We were on like seven of the 10 top markets. We had won a Peabody Award, which, which was a fancy award. And, um, and you know, People seem to like it. And um, we were probably on like, I don't know, 90, we were on about 100 stations at that point wow. out of the 500 in the public radio system. But that's pretty good. Like we'd only been on it's the air lot. for a few months, right? 
and um, and we're trying to get on the air more. So we needed a network. We wanted a network to pick us up. And um, and uh, and they uh, the person in charge of acquiring programming for NPR uh, just did not like the show or get the show. Oh my god! And then and then people from the news division, who the people who I knew, um, you know, including like the hosts of All Things Considered and the producers of All Things Considered, like people like that, who I had worked very closely with for years, they would go to the suits upstairs and they would just say, like, you guys don't understand. We made this kid. We own this guy. Everything yeah. he's doing on the show, he invented on our show. Like, right, like that guy, right. David, that guy David Sedaris, who he puts on his new show all the time. He started David Sedaris as a commentator on Morning Edition. Those yeah. stories where he goes out and talks to people and have all those little moments and stuff. He did that for us. Like, like yeah. we we own this, so we oh should be planting our flag in it. And they just didn't like the show. The people who had to make the decision and um and they didn't pick it up. And uh, in a and uh, PRI, which was the big competitor at the time, they're like, "We'll pick you up." And they doubled our number of stations in three months. They were like wonderful to work with. But, uh, oh but NPR, gosh. NPR wouldn't pick it up. So I, I sort of I, like for for years, I think I'd fantasize about do, being one of those shows that ends with them saying, "You know, at the end of the NPR shows, they end saying like, this is NPR.'" National Public Radio. And I thought, like, oh my God, I'm gonna to get to say that at the end of my own show. Oh my god. Never happened. And um and gratifyingly, our show was was successful enough that um that the people who told us no got fired. <laughs> <laughs> it was seen as like wow. a it was seen as a historic mistake. And interestingly, they had done this once before. And it's when Garrison Keyworth started Prairie Home Companion. He wanted wow. it to be an NPR show. And they're like, nah, we don't get it. Like the singing, yeah. and like he's <laughs> like, he's like, okay. And it became the single most popular show on public radio for a long time. That and Car Talk were the two like they were the most popular hours on public. Or th- or Prairie Home Companion was two hours. It was the most popular shows on public radio. NPR had turned down. You know, like, like so NPR to you was the second grader saying, "Get in there." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I have. Have you ever gotten punched in the face? Because I've been punched in the face a lot. And I, and I think it generally leads to a lot of good stories. That is, a, um, that will always lead to a good story. Yeah. So those are my props for the slow round. Do you like the slow round? Um, I do. I mean, here's my pitch: is that when you do the slow round, you present people with four of them, and you say, "Pick one." Okay, I like and then, that. And then you present them with the other four, and you say, "Pick another one." And oh, then, I love that. And then if you don't and then if you don't get great answers, tell them to pick another. <laughs> and then maybe you edit it so it sounded like they picked that one first, you know? Um Oh my gosh. By the way, I, I can hear I can hear my daughter in the other room. I don't want to say that too loud because she'll come in. Mm-hmm. Um she helped me create in my bedroom a quote unquote fort of pillows mm-hmm. that that create the the um that's your studio? The, the sound cushion studio. Um, because if for the listeners at home, if there's, if there's not something to, to take in the sound, to absorb the sound, then it just bounces around and there's an echo. And so that's, that's – but she's so proud of she's, that she helped make Dad's radio studio. Oh, that's really sweet. I know it's so sweet because she makes forts in the living room, and then I have my fort, my my radio fort. It's really sweet. Uh, um, I have to say, like like you don't get the. It's hard to find a practical application for that skill of 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 making a childhood fort. Like this might be the only one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, I love like, that. I, like, um, I, like, you actually able to like use her skills. And I feel like every time then you do the show, an episode, you have to tell her like, okay, daddy's got to record. Like I need a fort. And then she can like do it again. She's, it's like, she's part of the business. It's funny because like, as I was telling you that story, it's just like, I was making the fort. Like I literally get choked up and just talking about Una and like, and it's a, the whole last show that you and I worked on together was the new one, which people can see. Maybe they've seen it already on Netflix or whatever. Um, and people always say like, oh, you're going to you made a show about having, you know, a, a, a child and the next show is about going to be about when she's five, you know. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm, I always go, no, my next show is about my own death, because that's uh, what I think about a lot. And uh, in, as I approach middle age or I'm in middle age and uh, and uh, and the other thing is I don't have anything to say about having children like literally like I, I, I that was the new one was my piece about it like I, I that's it I'm done I'm, I'm out on observing the the uh, the concept of having a child I see that maybe I'm and maybe I'm jumping the gun I don't know but that's how I feel but that's why the the YMCA pool show is so much about it's just about death-themed things. I can't tell. Like it's an it's an intrusion on her privacy to talk about her on stage at this point. That's how I that's how I feel about it. I but, I, 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 but, I do it I do but, it minimally minimally. But I have to say, like she's she's the most important thing in your life next to next to Jenny, and so it's sort of hard to imagine you talking about the things that are important to you without eventually talking about her. I bet you do. I bet like, despite this moment where you feel this way, it's hard to imagine you're going to not be able to talk about her because I know how frustrated you get at doing material that has no deeper meaning to you. And your whole brand is doing stories that are funny, but also have a feeling to them. And if where your feelings are coming from is her so much of the time, I, I bet it's not going to last the moratorium. Thank, thank you so much. Um, thanks for, and thanks for being here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was a good way to wrap it up, but uh, there's so much to go. Um, they, you know, who said that to me too, is one of my favorite authors, uh, uh, Zadie Smith, I was talking to, and I said, I'm not going to talk about Una on stage now that I've done the new one. And she goes, she just goes like in the most, beautifully dismissive way that only Zadie Smith uh, can can uh, pull off. She just goes, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> um, so, so, so the show is called, that I'm working on is called YMCA Pool. And you've seen a lot of it in process. And so I, I was, gonna, I wanted to give you something that you haven't heard, which has to do with like the moment the moment... Um, wait, wait, can I just signpost? So this is the part of the show where you're finally going to read me material, right? This is, yeah, this is, act, right? Hold on, this is act three or act four or whatever it is. Yeah. Okay, so it's not going to be act one. That's interesting. Hold on. All right, getting, you know some paper out here, the- getting, getting paper out here and my pen is ready and I'm taking notes, okay? So uh, the show, YMC Pool, is all about middle age and thinking about my own death and basically like it's the first time in my life where, you know, they, they always say that term over the hill. You've seen this joke, but it's like, they say that term like when you're middle age, you're over the hill, and I never understood. 
that term till I got on the hill. And then I'm like, <laughs> oh, there's natural causes. They're not close, but they're coming. And, uh, and, and, <laughs> I never uh, heard and that it, joke. That's a good oh, joke. Oh, you haven't heard that one? No. So that's actually been in my new forming hour. And I have a lot of jokes like in that universe of like middle age and death and really like contemplating uh, my eventual death of maybe natural causes. And, and, um, and so, and so I was free writing on when did I start thinking about death so much? And so I wrote, I had a tumor in my bladder. I had a malignant tumor in my bladder when I was 19. And I remember when I got cancer because I had to look up cancer. And I looked it up and it said a disease caused, quote, a disease caused by uncontrolled division of abnormal cells. And I, and I thought, okay, uh, can you be more specific? And then I read a whole book that was more specific. And I was like, I think I'll stick with that first definition. You've really lost me. And, and um, so whenever uh, a friend tells me they have cancer, which I don't mean to brag, is quite often, part of me is like, I'm so sorry. And then part of me is like, can you explain to me what cancer is? Because <laughs> maybe this time I'll get it. <laughs> like, I don't get it. And I'm look, I get it the way I get that water is two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen, which is to say, I don't get it, but I'll drink it. And I'll definitely drink it if you add sugar and caramel colored secret ingredients that may or may not cause cancer. And I've told <laughs> my cancer story a lot of times because it's hooky, uh, but I rarely tell people this detail. Uh, and you'll see why. I discovered the tumor because I was driving home from college and I noticed there's blood in my pee and it was a specific type of blood. The instant it would hit the water, uh, it would create what I, what, what I can only describe as a fireworks display of blood in the toilet. Like poof, poof, poof. Like, congratulations, you might have cancer. And because <laughs> I really did think I had cancer when I saw the bloody fireworks. I was like, that's cancer. So anyway, I go to my urologist the next day, and he does a series of tests. For some reason, I feel the need to stop him at one point, and this is so embarrassing. And I said, and this is why I haven't told this story for so many years, because <laughs> I've told the story in other forms and sleepwalk with me of the, about getting cancer. But I said to my doctor, "Is it possible that the blood is from masturbating too much?" which I'm guessing if there are urologist <laughs> drinking games is one of the key phrases because he did not seem surprised. <laughs> Nevertheless, he milked it, no pun intended. He looked at me for a few moments with a judgmental look that said, you disgusting, horny, desperate, lonely pig. And then he said, no, it's not that. I was diagnosed with bladder cancer, which they took out, and the doctors decided not to do chemo or radiation because their gamble was that maybe this was an anomaly. And it was, as far as we know. I'm 41 years old and it hasn't come back, but that was the day I first became preoccupied with death. Okay, that's pretty good. Um, can, should we do what we normally do when you like, sure. when, when I sure. hear a bit of yours? Okay. Um, uh, I think it's solid. I think, uh, I think there's some jokes that aren't working at the beginning, but you get to stuff that does really work. Okay. Um, and... Um, Okay, so starting at the top, uh, okay, I love the over-the-hill joke. And then when did I start thinking about death? It was 19. Um, then you talk about the fireworks. I, th I love, like, the image and the thing you're saying about that. It's like uh, it's it's like uh, fireworks into Congratulations, the Congratulations, you might have cancer, yeah. Yeah, that's really funny. 
That that's why I felt like it really felt like there was a thing here. So it so it so it got it okay, got then, interesting to you at the fireworks thing. At the fireworks think... display, it got super interesting. And then I feel like when you get to the urologist, the disgusting pig joke line doesn't work. Yeah. Um, the thing that's better than that is the premise that the urologist has heard this a million times. And the way you're doing it right now is you, you explain that he's heard it a million times. Right. And then you say he milked it. And then you say he made the disgusting pig thing. But I think it's funnier, even if it's not true. And here's where we leave the realm of journalism and enter the realm of like, you're out, you're, it's not your job to be a journalist. Sure, sure. Um, like, I just think that like, you shouldn't tell us that he's seen this a million times and let us see that through his reaction. So you, oh, okay. yeah, you yeah, tell yeah. Sure, him sure. and like, and as soon as you say it, you realize, oh, wait a second, how stupid it is. But his look indicates, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're the fourth person in there saying this to him today. Like, like I'm not, I'm not coming up with the right way to perform this, but like his thing shouldn't be you disgusting pig. His yeah, thing I should be it. like, oh my God. You're again. ahead of it. Yeah, yeah. Right, you're right. Um, and then, uh, how do you end it? Diagnosed, it's not chemo. I didn't understand. Because their gamble what, was that maybe it was an anomaly. I the, don't the, understand. The, what, the tumor was, was maybe an anomaly. Did the tumor go away? Did they remove it? Did they excise it? They took it out. Oh, they you took need it to out, say that. And that's, it, that's not in there. You just say that oh, they I'm didn't Oh, I'm sorry. Give it. I was diagnosed. They took, yeah, yeah. I was diagnosed with bladder cancer, which they took out. Oh, they took they it took out. They took out they, the they, tumor. With, with like surgery or something. Yep. Just give, I, I, give me okay, a little, I'll give add me a little, like, yeah, give me a little extra. Like I didn't get that. I somehow that passed me. Even if you said it, maybe okay. other people who were listening heard it. But I, I would slow it down at, at the surgery thing. Um, but wait, what is this piece about? And then I go. I'm you know 41 the problem years with this piece? Hasn't come back. That was the first. That was the day I became preoccupied with death. You know what's the problem with this piece? What it doesn't live up to its premise. <laughs> at no point, at no point, do you confront death in this piece. You've totally missed the premise. No, no, but it's part of a larger show that's all about death. I, I mean, know, so but much- you're saying I'm going to tell you the story of when I first confronted death, and at no point in the story do you confront death. And I think what you need to do is either at before the fireworks display part of it when you're talking about I didn't understand what cancer was. Right. I right, think I think you need right. to have a moment where you picture your own death. I think maybe it could be the cancer taking over your body and wow. winning. Yeah. 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 I think like like I think you actually need to think about the thing that's the premise of the story. Because sure. I because I actually think like if that could be in there, were you scared when you went to the doctor? Gosh, you know, it really reminds me of of the COVID thing that people describe, which is like this like distortion of of space and time where everything blends together, where where I was just sort of like everything became mush. Like it's so hard to describe. You mean like, when the was, you mean when the doctor said to you it's cancer? My it wasn't my the doctor who said it. I, they actually what in real life what happened is they put me under to see what was there. And they did a cystoscopy, which I talk about in the new one, but I was, sur- it was surgical. I was surgically under for the cystoscopy. While I was under, they made it, they saw the cancer, they saw the tumor, they made an executive decision to put me under deeper and take it out while I was under. And then I woke up and it was like getting punched in the face with like, boom, cancer. They're like, literally, my mom had to explain to me, we get home, and I'm like, woozy, I'm coming out of the thing. And she's like, so you had a tumor? And I'm like, okay. (laughs) You know what I mean? 
Like, it's like a lot to find out fast. I was like, okay. And then I was like, but it wasn't malignant. She's like, it was malignant. <laughs> and I was like, it's going to be okay, right? And she's like, it might be, you know. And then I just started crying. And this I part actually... of the story is so much better than the story you're telling. Okay, so so the story's in the wrong order. Like, like I think that, that you start by saying, like, and that's when you looked up cancer is after all that? No, no, it was before because wait, wait, I was, you, wait, in, you, in other words, wait, in other words, you, I, knew, wait, I, you knew you had cancer before you went to the urologist? I was suspicious that I did. Yeah. Because Why were you suspicious blood, that it was cancer? You just Google like blood in your pee and it's like, it could be this or cancer or this or cancer or this or cancer. You okay. know what I mean? Like, okay, okay, okay. I think the order's wrong. I think the order has to be fireworks display. Like, are you going to say like, start, you know, this top you say I got a tumor when I was 19. And I wouldn't do the much of reality then either. Like, do that at the point in the story where it happens. I, you know, when did I start to think about death? It was when I was 19. And, and, uh, and here's what happened. And then tell the story of the fireworks display. Okay. Don't tell us cancer yet. And say, Okay, so and, let it be a surprise. Don't, yeah. don't, don't let the audience get ahead of it. But also say, like, I got a tumor when I was 19. So we know where it's going. You're going to get cancer. We know it. But you say, sure. like, here's I'm going to tell you the story. Like, fireworks display... And then, uh, and then you conclude from the fireworks display. It sounds like that it might be cancer, right? That's and, right. And then you look. And then up, I start googling it, and it, and, I, and, and like it says, cancer suggests okay. cancer a lot. Okay. And then you go to the doctor, and then, um, and then, and then you learn that it's cancer. Right. Really, and I think the moment of discovery, when you're told, needs to be a beat in the story. Yeah. Like that's, and then it has to th- seem like a thing and it needs to seem like it's cancer and it needs to seem like it's real and you need to think about the feelings that that gave you and, and riff on that. I'll but, tell you a funny, I'll tell you a funny memory that just came back to me as we're okay. talking about this, which is, so we get home from the hospital and my dad is a doctor. So it's like, it's all his like buddies at the hospital. And, but this is the memory that just came back to me, which is we're in like, they're in the kitchen and I'm sort of coming down from this and I'm at like the the kitchen island, you know, the thing in the middle and and I'm thinking like I'm probably fine, right? You know, and 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 I and I'm like and they're like, you know, it's a tu- there was a tumor and I'm like, right, but it's not that bad, right? And and my and my mom kept being like it was sort of like good cop bad cop of cancer. It was like my mom kept being like I it's going to be fine. <laughs> and my dad was like no, it ain't. You know what I mean? <laughs> she like she walks out of the room. He kicks the door closed. It's not going to be fine. You know what I mean? Like that's that malignant. He, did she say malignant or did he say it's malignant? No, he did. Uh, as a matter of fact, like he kept pointing out the ways, and it's so funny because it's the exact opposite. Usually, a doctor is more calming, mm-hmm. and with his patients, he has really good bedside manner. And his patients have said that to me over the years. Like he's so such a good doctor, and he's so caring and empathetic. And yet, in this instance where it was his own son, and I think it was from genuine worry, like, I think he was really pessimistic. Slash, like, some sort of weird passive-aggressive thing with your mom who's being too cheery about it. Because your mom can also, also, like, your mom is wonderful, can be a little on the cheerful side 
Um, and maybe their dynamic where she plays the super sunny one and he plays the sort of super dour one, accidentally your cancer slipped into their relationship dynamic, Mike. Oh, that's And funny. then like suddenly like she's all being like, you'll be fine. And he's like being like a much grumpier version of himself than he ever would be with his own patient because you accidentally entered into their relationship content, a fight that they would normally have about a yes. bad meal at a restaurant where she would say – like, no, no, the spaghetti is great. And he'd be like, I've never had red sauce like this. Suddenly you were the spaghetti meal that they're like all right, fighting over and you're yes. the one with cancer. Like, I don't know. I think yeah, there's yeah. a whole thing there. I think the moment you discover it, but then there has to be an emotional beat. There really is an emotional think- beat, which is that when they, this happened, when dad is saying this, I start crying uh-huh. and I'm like crying, bawling, bawling, like someone like hit me in the face with a baseball bat crying. And my mom is just saying, like, no, he's just, you know, your dad is just upset. He, it actually is going to be fine, you know? And it was, Hmm. I mean, it was heavy. Like, I was like, I was, that was the moment where I'm like, I think I'm going to die. Wait, yeah. Wait, wait, did your dad cry? Am I, I I think he was, no, no, yeah. I I mean, he was very emotional. I, I, I don't know if he, I don't know if I've seen him cry in my whole life. But when you life. saw him, but when you saw your dad so emotional, that's when. Yeah, my mom said, like, he, he's being emotional, but it's 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 going to be fine kind of thing. Your dad right. is just emo- being emotional about this. Kind right, because your dad can kind of, like, hold hold back. He's very much like a doctor. Like, a yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, anyway, he's not, he's not that openly emotional very much. Yeah. So dude, that's it. Can I point out something else that's really funny about the story you're telling that you're not even using for anything? And okay. that is the doctor who removed a tumor from you, I just want to be sure I have this right. He didn't tell you that it was cancer and that you had a malignant tumor and he left it to no. your mommy to do? But, like, <laughs> like, but you're a fucking adult when this story happens. You're 19 years old. Did no, you even, you're right. Did you live at home? No, well- Were you at well, Georgetown home from college. by then? I was home from college, So you're yeah. a fucking kid, you're an adult. You're an adult right. man. 19, you're in a, you could that, be in the army at 19. Yeah. Like, like a doctor shouldn't be telling a 19-year-old, like, go home. I'm going to tell your mommy because your mommy's going to tell you that you have cancer. You know what it's like? It's like, it's like you're like a, like a 40-year-old like, like bride in a religious sect. And like, you know, she and her husband, you know, brother, whoever, go into the doctor. And then they're like, all right, you know, like leave the room, little lady, while we tell your husband what you have. And then he'll yes. tell you while you're cooking his dinner. Like, that's what happened to you. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I also wonder, like, did that doctor know your family? Is that why it happened? Yeah, it was my dad's golf buddy. Ah, uh, even that, it's very unprofessional. Oh, I know. Well, there's another unprofessional thing, which is the, the, um, the, the main nurse for the surgery was the golf buddy's wife. And, um, Dude. and she... Oh, my God. It, <laughs> Dude, I I, have I ever told you the story about me and Dr. Khan? Holy boss. No. Oh, my God. It's like, I, this was like one of my favorite experiences at a doctor. So, um, so I, had, I had something wrong with my mouth and they said, you need this special procedure, an apicoectomy, I think it was called, where basically they drill into the side of your skull to fix like, I can't even remember what, it's like a root canal, but even more so. And then my dentist in Chicago was this wonderful dentist who actually like taught at the dental school. And he's always like, you know, I could do this. 
But I think you should get a second opinion. And really, there's one guy in all of Chicago, and if you're going to get this done, he's the best. And his name is Dr. Khan. So, and he's busy, but get a second opinion. So I went to another dentist, and uh, and I told him, like, here's what I got. I think it's an apicoectomy. I think it was called again. I hope I'm not getting the name of this wrong. And he's like, you know, I could do this for you, but, you know, let me tell you something. There's this one guy, and his name is Dr. Khan. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to see this Dr. Khan. So I go to Dr. Khan, and, uh, and Dr. Khan turns out to be, like, a wonderful oral surgeon. Um, and so I go to his fancy office and he's lovely, like a lovely man. And, uh, but his, his, uh, like the assistant, the dental hygienist, his wife is from some other country and she also is a highly trained dentist, but mm. she hasn't taken the board certification to Here. be a dentist in the United yeah. States. Yeah, yeah. So she apparently works as his assistant on these surgeries, but can't perform the surgery himself. And they give you this really strong drugs um, where so you're awake during it because you have to keep your mouth open, but you feel sure. nothing and you oh, and you're gosh. stoned. You're basically stoned. I can't like sure. I, I, and I've never been to the dentist and gotten it. I can't remember if it was hydrogen gas or graphene gas or whatever it was. But whatever it is, like they give you, they give you. So I'm stoned, and I'm not somebody who had a lot of experience being stoned. And in the middle of him working on me, he like asks for an instrument and he does something, and she's like, "Well, don't don't you think you mean you want this instrument?" And there's like a pause. <laughs> and he's like, no, I think what I need is this one. Oh my God. And she doesn't give it to him. And then they literally get into like a marital fight. Oh my like, God. And imagine like you're stoned and you're like, <laughs> and also like she's on my left side and he's on my right side. And people are so physically close to you when they're doing like dentistry on you. Like he's just inches away from my face. Oh my God. And she's also quite close. And they get into this actual, very tense, argument over like which part of the procedure, if it's going to be suction next, or I don't even know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? And like, oh and I remember thinking, this is the greatest fucking thing I've ever seen. This is so good. It made me oh love gosh. him and her. And, and it wasn't frightening. It was just fascinating because they're just like, this guy's drugged. He can't talk. And so they're just like, it became their living room. Well, it's funny because I had, there was an, sort of an unprofessionally thing that happened that I, I've never talked about on stage either. And just, <clears> I and ju and just going to say before we both get sued for libel, sure. did a wonderful job. And, and another thing, <laughs> and, and like, can I say one thing else? When I, when I was getting diagnosed, they said, they said to me like, um, and this procedure, it can go wrong. And I was like, well, what are the side effects that can go wrong? And they say, you'll never be able to speak clearly again. It'll affect your speech. Would that be a problem? Wow. And I was like, yes, that actually That's would hilarious. be a problem <laughs> for me and my line of work. I mean, as it would for anybody, but for me especially, or there in would, addition there, to, yeah. This is sort of a minutia point mm -hmm. that could be in there, which is there, there was a thing with the nurse where after I woke up, she said to me, she goes, um, you were really high, you were on like the street equivalent of of like horse tranks, and uh, she goes, "You were you thought I was your mom, and you said, Mom, I love you.'" Aww. And she told me this, and then I told my parents. I was still a little high. I told my parents that, and my dad got really mad. He was like, "She should not." be telling you that like that is very unprofessional which is like my not only does my dad not say i love you to me but he's very discouraging of other people relaying it i got i should use that i should use that because actually like that's a good i feel like the whole scene with your parents is fascinating 
I, I yeah. feel like you've got this. I feel like there's like a lot more human drama there to talk about, buddy. All right. Well, I think we I think we made a lot of headway. And um, the final I segment hear, of the I, show. I want to hear the next. I want to hear the next iteration of it now. Now I'm now I'm involved. Okay. Okay. So the final segment of the show is called "Working It Out for Charity," and my guest chooses a COVID-affected nonprofit, and I will donate to it. Uh, I'll say like there's two charities that I'm a monthly donor to, in addition to my local public radio station, of course. Um, and those are um, Doctors Without Borders and Oxfam America. Oh, yes. And I don't mm-hmm. know if they're doing any special COVID stuff. I would expect maybe Doctors Without Borders is, but but um, yeah. but um, I think anybody who donates to those two groups is always doing something good for people. Okay, that's working it out for charity, and uh, that's going to wrap it up. This is the pilot episode of the show, and and uh, it's I, I really appreciate you doing this. Okay, it was fun talking about it. I feel like that, I'm, that was so exactly like our normal process. <laughs> that was Eric Glass, and this is the first episode of Working It Out. Hi. Hey, Jack. Did you hear the episode? Yeah, I got an idea for it. Working it out, cause it's not done. Working it out, cause there's no one. No, we don't have to stop making jokes, though these versions might choke. They'll someday breathe cleaner. We'll make art and we'll show you the guts and the soup and the nuts. Hey, we'll take you back. Play the jokes without punchlines. Tell us without storylines. Thoughts without reason or rhyme. Wow, that's going to do it for our first episode of Working It Out. My special thanks to the brilliant Ira Glass. You can find his body of work at thisamericanlife.org. Our producers of the Working It Out podcast are Peter Salomon and Joseph Berbiglia. Consulting producer Seth Barish. Sound mix by Kate Belinsky. Thanks to my consigliere Mike Berkowitz. And special thanks to Jack Antonoff for that song. As always, a very special thanks to my wife, J-Hope Stein, and our daughter, Una, who created this radio fort. (laughs) Do you want to say hi? Hi. Thanks, Una. Me and Jen's book comes out tomorrow. What's that? Tomorrow? It'll be available at your local curbside bookstore or your favorite curbside book website. Thanks most of all to you for listening. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. We're working it out.